brand new Neon Jazz interview with a cat that is one of a kind, and he's seen a lot of jazz in his life, Kansas City bassist Jeff Harshbarger. During this interview, he talks about being the mortar between the proverbial jazz bricks, talks about his many stops around the country and Europe where he's played live, his immediate and long-term plans for more music, and how he has picked up singing during this past year, along with much, much more. Dig it. Hey, Joe. How you doing? Hey, good, man. How you doing? Good. Good. You ready to talk? Yeah, sure. Cool, man. First of all, where were you born and raised? York, Nebraska is where I was born. Okay. But uh, the family moved to Manhattan, Kansas when I was four. And that's where I did most of my rearing. What was that town like for jazz, for fuel and your desire? You know, uh, surprisingly good uh, for two very uh, small reasons. Um, being a college town in the Midwest, there's a bit of built-in culture there. So while while the majority of the people in my peer group were just kind of into you know tipping cows and football and then the, the regular Midwestern rural upbringing. Uh, having a university around bring a lot of culture in from abroad to get to see a lot of stuff. And both my parents are musicians and music teachers. So uh, it's also the home of the International Association of Jazz Educators. Wow. So that was starting, yeah, it was started out as the, uh, the National Association of Jazz Educators in Matt Bedden's house. It was just his living room. He realized that jazz started to be taught more in schools in the 60s so uh, he he grew up in the same crew with uh, like Gary Foster and Dick Wright and all these you know, legendary northeastern Kansas jazz people and he was much more of an educator and, and he wanted a place for people to come when they're you know near the end of their college or fresh out of college and, and you get your first easy get teaching gig in the Midwest chances are you're going to be teaching at a beer 4A level high school and uh, you are the music program. So you've got a lot of people that have no experience in jazz being expected to leave or start some kind of jazz program. So he started this weekend retreat during everyone's winter break where you can go to his house and bring some local musicians in and he got music reading sessions. So here's what jazz tracks sound like. Here's what people are, are publishing this year. Here's what's new in the market. And here's how to get a rhythm section to sound good. And, and, over time, it just blossomed into this massive, massive thing that it became. And Matt Bedden was, for, for lack of a better word, he was sort of my godfather. I was always over there hanging out. And so jazz people would come through town and hang out with my pop. My pop used to go on the road with some guys. And, and I got to know a lot of people through those two. It was just always around when I was a kid. So it didn't seem weird at all. Very cool. So talk to me about your family, how they influenced you and, and to pick up an instrument, and how did that work? Uh, my mom is an opera singer, and my dad is a jazz woodwind player, clarinet and tenor. And they decided that they would rather teach than perform. So they got music ed degrees and got married and had kids. Very cool. And um, so when I was four, they put a violin in, a hand, in my hand, and they got, uh, got me some piano lessons. And then um, one day, I think, yeah, I was about 10 years old, um, my dad, being a high school band teacher, his best friend was the orchestra teacher, she told him, you know, your son is big for his age, he's a tall kid, and I've got this half-sized bass, and it would be really cool if I actually had a bass player in, in my grade school orchestra next year. By the time he got home that day, he had decided that I was going to start playing bass. 
Cool. And, and I stuck it in my hands, and, and that was that. Right on. Rest is history. Yeah. Speaking of history, talk to me about kind of the bands and projects you've been involved with over the years. Um, I'd say the first, uh, near the end of college, um, besides just was knocking around in the, in the freelance jazz scene, at the end of my college years in, in Lawrence, Kansas, I was in a 10-piece funk band called The Band That Saved the World. Mm-hmm. And we did some touring and made a couple records. And then shortly after that uh, fell apart, I went to, I relocated to Kansas City and got really involved in Tango Lorca, the Argentinian tango group. And spent a lot of time with that. Um, that was at Steady Gate on Wednesday with Fedora and, and made a record with that ensemble. Um, also, I have a... Uh, during those, in the late 90s, there was a time I was doing a lot of swing music. So I was part of the Inferno Swing Club and played with Dave Stevens and Angela Hagenbach. Um, and then had a, uh, uh, a heavy metal comedy improv band called uh, Jazz Discharge with Brad Cox. Uh, that was a whole lot of fun. And once in a while, we still do a reunion show. We made our first short film last year. Cool. Coming back from the dead. Um, I'll, uh, I did some stuff with Dave Stevens. I had a group called um, Plus Five for a while, doing all modern jazz things. Did some touring in Europe. And, well, there's a couple other things in there that I'm missing. Uh, lately, it's been uh, touring a lot with a band called Jacob Fred Jazz Odyssey. It's based out of Tulsa. Okay. And uh, done some work over the years with Bobby Watson and uh, some other local jazz luminaries. So, stuff with Dan Kessler. Oh, great. Um, did some, uh, you know, a lot of, had a trio, the 10 string trio with Danny Embry and Zach Aldaya. Um, and yeah, there's, there's more in there. I'm sure that's funny. Sure, absolutely. I, I'm curious as to where you played in Europe and talk to me a little bit about where you've played around the world and the country. Um, I've, I'm lucky to say that I've played in every state of the of the continental U.S. I haven't been to Alaska or Hawaii yet. That's on the list. Huh. And um, and over in Europe, I've been. I think I've played everywhere uh, except Germany and and uh, the northernmost countries. I have in Western Europe, and then spent a little bit of time in Eastern Europe after the wall came down. So, um, places to perform? Most recently, I'd say the North Sea Jazz Festival in Rotterdam. It's just, it's jazz Disneyland, jazz heaven. Cool. 13, there's 13 stages, and it's it's all the living legends that you love, and it's all the new people coming up, doing new things, and they're all hanging out together, and, and you can go run and see all of them all day long, three days in a row, and it's it's unbelievable. It's, it's just sort of looks like my record collection as if I'm talking to them. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> I, you know, never dreamed that I would be there. And I had 
the time of my life. Like in one day, uh, having a drink with Ron Carter and shaking Wayne Shorter's hand and, and, and then sitting in with Russell Malone and, and then playing my own gig and then going watching Brian Blade Fellowship and, you know, going to bed that night thinking, that was today? <laughs> oh my God, what am I doing? This is, this is not happening. Yeah, why dream if your dream was that day? I know, it just, yeah, yeah, a real, a real pleasure, a real dream come true. I've always wanted to be at that thing. I mean, just as a patron, really. Yeah. To actually get to be on the stage side of it, a real honor. Very cool. So, speaking of gigs, are you gigging a lot in Kansas City? And what, what do you think about the local club scene here in town now? I am gigging a lot. Uh, Jacob Fred is taking a break from the road. I'm usually gone with him about six months a year. Uh, this year we're having a year off, getting ready for next year's 20th anniversary tour. So uh, I'm back in the area and I'm doing a lot of stuff around here. And the scene, I think, uh, creatively, artistically, is as healthy as it's ever been. I mean, more people are, more young players are staying in Kansas City than leaving, which is always a good sign because they, they retain that youthful energy and they retain that new thought. Um, but also the older, wiser, and traditional players are all still here and still playing and still have places to play. And you know, there's been a big upheaval. The pendulum has swung and we've lost a couple clubs, but a couple other places have stepped up and taken their place. And I, I have, uh, really, I've got nothing but good feelings about what's going on around here right now. Seems almost like, and I brought this up a couple times with a couple of the other musicians, that there's kind of this revival, and it's not so much 18 of Vine, it's just this is Kansas City Jazz, and we're a part of the chapter and the anthology of what's going on here. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I think there was a period of time where jazz itself was sort of uh, navel-gazing about its own history and not making anything new. And that has changed, and I think we've sort of discarded some of that. And it's almost like a, a, a kind of animal molting a skin. You know, you have to get grow out of whatever thing you're used to. And I see that energy happening here right now, and it's it's really really great. More people are writing, more people are making new records, more people have moved here from other places and have brought their energy and their ideas, and and that just brings more you know, musical genetic code into our melting pot. It helps us make new things. Doesn't having Bobby Watson here in town do that as well, kind of a honeycomb of bringing people in? Absolutely. I mean, that, that I think, is the, was the first, um, the first building block of this new growth. You know, having him show up and the, the instant strength of recruiting for the university that his name brings You've got more people from more young people from the immediate area just staying. Well, you know, yeah, I get to go learn with Bobby Watson, the guy who with Blakey, the guy who lives in London. Why would I go anywhere else? You know, it, it just makes sense. Absolutely. So, and then that just that huge talent pool that is being turned out of that place. There's always someone that's playing with the university at a super super high level. I'm always very impressed. Absolutely. So, talk to me about your albums. What albums have you been on? What are you working on? What uh, I just kind of want to talk about your uh, discography, so to speak. Sure. Um, most recently, the uh, Alex Turka, my Turkish jazz ensemble, so Oplet, uh, Rich Wheeler, and Brandon Draper, just put out our second record, Yalnews, and it's on Sidon Records. 
and that just came out last month. And I had a really, really great release. It's doing very well. And we're going to start a radio campaign this summer for that thing. I think we're going to got some people that are going to help us try to move that around to a more national level. Um, with Jacob Fred Jazz Odyssey, I was on there last recording the Tulsa Race Riot Sweep. And that's taken us all over the world. It's been a huge record for the band, and it was a huge honor to play with them. Had all these special guests, so Jeff Coffin from Dave Matthews' band and from Bale Fucking the Flecktones was with us, as well as Peter Applebaum, Stephen Bernstein, Mark Sutherland was a guest on that record. Uh, also, I think uh, Snuff Jazz record came out last year, the, uh, no, two years ago, with Snuff Back, we called it, and that was uh, it's Mark Sutherland's ensemble that I play for. And uh, Jimmy Carl Black was on that record. It's the last thing he ever recorded. He's the first drummer from The Mothers of Invention. And he was just spouting off these stories that we were improvising behind him with, uh, with Eugene Chadbourne <laughs> and Josh Adams. And that was just a ridiculous amount of fun. Cool. Very cool. So, Jeff, who are your jazz heroes? Wayne Shorter. Uh, hands down. Uh, the most important figure living today in the music. Um, my my first bass hero was uh, was Rocco Prestia, bass player for Tower Tower, and uh, and Jaco Pastorius. I was an electric player first, and when I got more into the upright, I really got into uh, Larry Grandier, and I looked backwards, and I really got into Paul Chambers, and Ray Brown, and I had the good fortune to take a lesson with Ray Brown, so I I got to feel a little more out of him. Uh, locally, when I first moved to the scene, I was doing a lot of playing for Milt Abel, the, the great, great Kansas City bass player. And I really think that's where I learned about our city's tradition of his music. Is I think Hamlet, when he couldn't play anymore, he was singing. And, and, and he was kind enough to take the young kid under his wing. Learned a lot out of him. Uh, Dave Douglas is another gentleman that I really, really look up to and really respect. As is John Zorn, um, Herbie Hancock. These are all things that, that stay in pretty heavy rotation in my listening and in my research. Right on. So, and, you know, and of course, you know, John Coltrane, Charlie Parker, I mean, you know, the, the giant inescapable figures of our music. Absolutely. So talk to me about some of your accomplishments. You were the 2011 Person of the Year by PlasticSax.com. Best Bases, Pitch Magazine, we can go on and on. What are these accolades and, and these levels of recognition? What do they mean to you? Um, well, I'm just honored that anyone notices them out there at all. Uh, <laughs> you know, being, I've always thought that as a bass player, if you're doing your job right, you're the guy that no one knows that you're in the band. You know, I, I think the bass players are, are the mortar between the bricks. Uh, that's, that's our role. And I love being in that supportive role. I'm not a big spotlight guy. So to have anyone notice my contributions to the music is, is pretty great. Uh, and every time that happens, you know, that, that external recognition and validation is, is really important. It, it, can keep a, it can keep a creative mind going for a while. It's a little bit of validation to say, yeah, yeah, this guy's doing nice things. And, you know, it helps you, you know, spur yourself along on your path. Absolutely. So I kind of want to shift gears here. I'm kind of going up and down here with the car, but I want to go back to an earlier question. And I'm, we, you may have answered it, but I'm going to ask again. If you could go back in time and meet one musician from any era or any idiom in jazz, 
who would it be and why? Any, any other idiom besides jazz, you say? Well, or idioms within jazz. It, it could be any genre of, of music. But if there was one musician you could go back and talk to and meet, who would it be? Oh, gosh. Um, man, uh, you know, first off, first thing that leaps to my head is probably Coltrane. Mm-hmm. I, would, I would love to spend time with Coltrane and, and just try to understand how his mind works. You know, how, we have... There's a lot of people that sound like Coltrane and write like Coltrane now, which is great. You know, we've, the, the music and the culture has absorbed that brilliance and that language. But to understand where it came from and how it happened, I think that would be, that would be pretty wonderful. Right on. So what are your plans, like, you know, from the, the minute we get off the phone, long term, what are you wanting to do with your career? What are you wanting to do recording-wise, live? What's, what's left for you to do? Lots. Um, I, then we get off the phone. I actually I have my first gig ever this weekend as a vocalist. Like I'm not playing an instrument. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Ryan Heinlein's band, the H Project, is doing X Song Reader its entirety. That, that's that folio sheet music that put out back in December. So our gig's Friday night at the record bar. Um, I'll be working on that all afternoon, uh, just making sure that I have my material down. And singing is something that I did a lot when I was younger and I didn't do for about 12 years and it started creeping back in a couple years back as a backup vocalist. When I was asked to perform, I I had to say yes. I I make these little deals with myself of, of, uh, I had these year-long brain games of, of how to get over certain fears. Mm-hmm. And so this past year's beard uh, thing has been, uh, if someone asks me to sing, I have to say yes. Nice. And I'm quite thankful that the year's almost over. Because <laughs> 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 I've been terrified a lot. <laughs> um, but it's been really good for me. It's, it's having new things to work on, having a different perspective on music is always great. I think it makes everything else stronger. Um, and I'm actually really enjoying it. Very cool. That's uh, what today is, and I want to incorporate more singing in my near future. I want to get my first solo record out in the next year or two, all depending on my touring schedule. And um, I've got I've got some more installation ideas. I did a, a, a big installation last year for Grand Arts here in Kansas City at the Lewis and Clark site. I did a recreation of the Lewis and Clark camping, and I did a night of music that they would play together. And I want to do another one of those sort of historical revisionist reenactment things in the, in the near future. Sometime this coming fall, I think I'll be researching another time of American music and presenting uh, a version of that. Nice. So at this point in your life, when you look back, is there anything you would have done differently? Yeah, of course. Uh, lots. I, I would have, uh, I don't know, um, I would have been, um, boy, to, I don't know where to go with that without getting too into, you know, certain ensembles I would have left sooner than I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a, tendency to to 
stick with a thing longer than I need to sometimes. Uh, so I would have, I would have left certain groups a little earlier because I just wasn't, I wasn't happy in them, and I wasn't, I was happy to have work, but I wasn't creatively fulfilled. You know. Sure. Sure. If that means anything. Yeah. Um, I don't have any really any real regrets. I would have spent more time in Hong Kong. I really loved it there. <laughs> yeah. And I thought that uh, I thought I had to come back for certain work things, but it really turns out that that was a, a overzealous sense of loyalty. <laughs> I really yeah. really wasn't that big a deal. I should have stayed there sure. and explored that culture a little longer. Um. Yeah. Uh, earlier on, I uh, should not have talked myself into being as as scared of taking risks as I was. Mm-hmm. I take a lot more risks now, and I'm a lot happier for it. Cool. And I think if I could go back and tell 20 year old me what you know, late 30s me knows, I, w- I would say, stop taking yourself so seriously. <laughs> go yeah. have more fun. Yeah. That's really all that matters. Like, that's why people pay money to come see musicians play. They're not coming to watch you take yourself seriously. They're coming to have a good time. Yeah. You can help them. Get up there and have a good time. You're actually going to make better music if you do. Yeah, all that comes with wisdom. That's for sure. Yeah, um, you just got to screw up a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I have. And it's okay. Yeah. But I got some screw ups out of the way. I think I can get real work done. It's cool. Yeah, you know, life is just not like Benjamin Buttons. We don't start at the end and go forward. We have to figure it out along the way. Oh, thank God for that. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a comedian I like a lot, Doug Stanhope, and he says, you know, go ahead and screw up when you're a kid. What can you possibly do that you can't bounce back from? Yeah, no kidding. Your bones are still bendy. Your skin's still clear. Do whatever. Yeah, have a good time. Yeah. For sure. So, what was it like to give out your autograph for the first time? <laughs> Weird. <laughs> it was a, it was a joke. I think really. I think it was a, like an older family member. One of, my, one of my first records came out. I think they wanted me to sign it. We had a good laugh about it. Nice. Yeah. So, before this interview, or at some point today or yesterday, what was the last album or song you listened to? Um, I was listening to the new Kurt Rosenwinkel record in the car on my way home today. The Star of Jupiter. That's the record he's got out now. How is it? Good. Yeah, Kurt's one of my favorite living guitar players. He's got some really great writing on it. Uh, Eric Rivas, great, great bass player. Uh, great playing on there. So, yeah, nice record. Cool. So... We get to, we're getting to the end here, or we are at the end, proverbial end. And I want to ask you one last question. If you had to sum yourself up in the length of one tweet, what would it be? <laughs> um, I really like making music with my friends. Nice. That's it. <laughs> well said. That's cool, man. Hey, Jeff, thanks for your time. It was awesome talking with you. Hopefully I'll see you out there in a uh, venue sometime soon. And thanks a lot, Joe. We really appreciate it. Take it easy. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players doing that jazz these days around Kansas City and the world. And thanks to Jeff for his time and insight into his craft and music. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Until next time, enjoy the music, my friends. Music.
Neon Jazz.